my day when we had um, a driving theory test, it was a piece of cake. What you used to do was um, you come out with your examiner and he will point to a car across the road and say to you, read that number plate. And knowing that's going to happen, you probably read it before a hundred times anyway, before you went into your test. And so you read the number plate, and then you get into the car, and you do your little drive. And at the end, he opens a book and points to three pictures, and that's it. You pass your driving test. Complete walk in the park. But today, our young people face a different type of theory test. And they cannot have their driving test until they've done the sit-down theory examination. And it's a lot more than reading a number plate from across the road. In fact, the theory test is quite an important part of their driving qualification. Now, when I look at the Bible, it seems that Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11 was theory. In fact, what these chapters tell us, if you was looking and listening very closely, Romans chapter 1, right through to Romans 11, will tell you that you have to be saved by grace and grace alone. It's not by works. Justification by grace. That's what the whole of the first 11 chapters was all about. You've got to get that right. You've got to understand that in order to be a Christian today, it's not about what you do, but it's what you understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we are justified not by works, but by grace. And so as we open up chapter 12, we realize that Paul now moves on in a different direction. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews used to go into the temple and to offer sacrifices in the temple. But Paul says that that old way is finished. God has moved on. And it says over in Romans chapter 10, Christ is the end of the law. So there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is now the end of the law. So three important things that I want to share with you this morning. The first important thing is an important message. Paul begins this verse. Look what he says. Therefore I urge you. Paul begins this new section with these three very distinctive, important words. I urge you. It's as if he said, I beseech you. I beg you. I plead with you. Those words, I urge you, are very strong words. I urge you, brothers. I urge you, sisters. You know, most drivers don't realize, don't know, that when they are driving down the road and they see a sign... Um, and that sign has a yellow background. Most drivers don't realize what that means. And if you're driving down the road and you see a sign with a yellow background, the reason why that background ground is yellow is because it's telling you 
that the junction or the part of the road you're going to go past is a very accident-prone part of the road. In fact, that yellow sign means that there has been fatal accidents along that road. And that people have died. So when you're driving down the road, you see a sign, and the background of that sign is a yellow background. It's saying to you, it's speaking to you in a sign language. It's saying to you, I beg you, be careful as you go past that junction. I urge you to take special caution as you drive down that part of the road. Because that road, that part of that junction has been dangerous and people have died on that road. Now Paul is using the same sort of thing right here. He's saying to the church he's writing to, I urge you to take the next thing I'm going to say very seriously. Do not be half-hearted. Do not be a person who has one foot in and one foot out. Do not be someone who's not fully plugged in. Paul is saying, I urge you, I beseech you. What I'm about to say is of vital importance. In the previous chapter, you can turn around and ask Paul, well, well, Paul, why are you being so serious? Why are you urging me? Why are you pleading with me? Why are you being so dramatic, Paul? Well, Paul would answer the simple question by turning around and saying, is in the same verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, the reason why I'm being dramatic is about God's mercy in view of God's mercy. I want to tell you, Paul says, that God has been merciful. In fact, previous chapter, he says this, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy. At one time, Paul says, you were disobedient to God. At one time, you did not obey him. But even though you were disobedient, God has shown you mercy. It's all through, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in the Bible about God's mercy. Look at these few verses that I've got here in, on the screen. Look what it says here. As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It's everywhere. Let's go to Titus. What Titus says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our 
Saviour appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God saved us because of his mercy. These are powerful, powerful words. You know, it's very difficult to actually illustrate mercy because we believe in justice and we want to see justice done and rightly so. It's very difficult to um, illustrate mercy. But I was uh, listening to the great Dr. Martin Luther King preached the other day. And Dr. Martin Luther King, who was assassinated on April the 4th, 1968, he was preaching to a largely black audience. And he said to them these words, he said to them words like this, he said, when it's in your power to humiliate a white person who's been racist towards you, a white person who has treated you bad, a white person who spat at you and kicked you, when it's in your power to humiliate them and to have one over them, when it's in your power, is that time when you should love them. When you could humiliate them and bring shame to them, at that time, show them mercy. That mercy, when a racist is in your power to turn around and to say, I still love you. That was King's message. And that is Christ's message to you and me. Because you are the racist. Me and June were having a conversation about what racism is all about. Black people think they can't be racist. Black people can be just as racist as white people. You are racist. I can be racist. But not only race, but every other sin that the Bible speaks about, you and I have the ability to hide in our own hearts. We look at the racist and oh, what a horrible person. But there's the adulterous and the unfaithful man and the liar and the swearer and the greedy. They're all under the same umbrella. All got sin in their lives. You and I were disobedient. But this is what the Bible says. Because God is rich in mercy. You can be different. Paul says because of that mercy. In view of that mercy. Even though you know you're wicked. Even though you know you're disobedient. God's mercy can change you. Okay, so what can that mercy do? Because of that mercy, because he loved me, even though I'm a filthy sinner, because he loved me because I'm disobedient, what can I now do because of that mercy? So that's an important message. The second thing is then an important act. Let's go back to that verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, the Old Testament word, the Old Testament used sacrifice in the Old Testament. But Paul brings it into the New Testament and he changes it. He, he, he puts a, a new word in the beginning. The Old Testament used the word sacrifice. Paul takes the word and he puts another word 
in front of it, living sacrifice. You know, God's not interested in dead sacrifices. There's only one dead sacrifice God was interested in was the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only dead sacrifice that God was interested in. Any other dead sacrifices, he doesn't want to know nothing about. Only interested in Christ who died for sin. That is a sacrifice that shut the whole of heaven down. That was a sacrifice that caused God to turn his face away from his son. That is the sacrifice that God was pleased with. That dead sacrifice. Any other dead sacrifices, God is not interested in. So what is then a living sacrifice? Well, in the Old Testament, a man will, or woman will take a goat or a, 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 a lamb, or if you're poor, you might take a pigeon, and you will go to a temple and you will give the animal over. And the priest will take the animal and he will sacrifice the animal and spread the animal's blood on the altar. And when that is done, the man or woman will go home. When they go home, they will continue to live their lives that they did before. Nothing will change. You know, in the same way, modern Christianity functions in the same way. You know, people bring themselves to church and they give themselves to worship like we have done for the first 30 minutes or maybe a bit longer. But after the worship is done, so we used to walk through that door and we've given God his bit of time. You know, this week I've been, well, in the past, I've been in many, many churches and I've been in many churches when the worship was more like a funeral service. You're in there and you just want to cry. Or you want to go into a coffin or something, you know. It's so dead. I've been in many of these churches. On Monday, I had the um, privilege for the first time to actually go into a football stadium. I've never been in a football stadium in my whole entire life. But the first time on Monday, I went into a football stadium in Norwich. And the reason why I went there was because um, Joseph um, graduated on Monday. But not only Joseph graduated, but also Hannah graduated on Friday. So would you stand up, you guys? Let's give them a round of applause. That's a big thing. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Yeah, they, they graduated. They're, they're, they're more intelligent than their father. Um, both dads are not that great, clever. But, um, but I went to a football stadium, and, and as I went into the football stadium, I sat there. I think they called the Canaries, this Norwich team. Why call the team Canary? I mean, it's a weak name, isn't it? Berg? You know, but anyway, Norwich football team, right, was called Canaries. And I was sitting there, 25,000 seats around me. And I got myself thinking after preparing this sermon, you know, because on a Saturday or whatever day they play, you know, the crowds are cheering and chanting for their team. And then when the game is over, they all go home. The chanting stops. The screaming and the singing stops. They all go home and as if it never happened. It doesn't affect their lives at home. 
And I got thinking. Because church worship can be just like that. We come to church. And it's wonderful to come here. It's wonderful to raise our hands and to praise Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And to sing songs of praise and songs of worship. It's wonderful to do that. And I would be nowhere else. I'd rather be here doing that all day long. It's a fantastic thing to do. But so often when we leave, it is a time when we leave when true worship should take place. Never mind in the house. True worship should really take place when we walk out of those doors. Let me explain to you why. When Jesus was speaking to a man called Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked Jesus a question. And Jesus turned around and said to Nicodemus, very, um, well, Nicodemus was very interested in how to get to heaven. That was his question. He wanted to know how to get to glory, how to get to the kingdom of God. He, he knew that life wasn't just what he saw. He knew that it was another life. I wish more people would ask a question like that. I wish more people would say, you know, this can't be it. Surely there must be something more than what I see every single day. And Nicodemus had that desire, that same question. And Jesus turned around and gave him an answer. And Jesus said to him, you should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. If you want to get into my kingdom... If you want to see the face of God, you cannot get into my kingdom the way you are at the moment. You must be. Not maybe, possibly, if, another route, another way. No, there's only one way. You must be, says Jesus, born again. Speaking to another person, a woman at the well, Jesus turned around and said this. Yet time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. He goes on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, because God's spirit, he's not confined to those four walls. Don't fool yourself. I'm coming to meet with God, you say. You say on Sunday, or you know, for that week, I'll be at church. I'll be there. I'm going to meet with God on Sunday. What are you talking about? You mean tell God's in the church waiting for you to come through the doors so you can have a, an interview with him? You can meet with him in the church? I want to tell you, God is everywhere. No matter where you might be. So when you who are born again, those of us who are born again are born by the Spirit of God. When we walk out that door, we can use our lights to worship God every single day. It doesn't mean that we have to be here singing songs of praise and worship. We can worship God on a Monday morning. We can praise him on a Wednesday night. We can see God's face on a Friday evening. Anywhere we want to be, we can meet with the living God. Because the Bible says that is the worshippers that God is seeking. He's seeking true worshippers. Not those who've got a loudest voice. Not those who can sing like angels. Not those who can play music. 
those who can handle an instrument. No, the true worshippers are those who worship outside the building. That's where God is saying, that's what I'm seeking. True worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. So that's what God is saying. To offer your bodies a a living sacrifice. It's someone who goes out into the world and is able to worship whether they're in Tesco's. Not by singing songs and annoying people. Not by turning around and being loving or being kind. By showing something of Christ in your actions. That is what the Lord is seeking. But I can hear someone, that's an important act. And finally, my phone, I find an important change. I can hear somebody saying to me, yeah, but that sounds good, but how can I be a living sacrifice? You know, I I go from church, I get topped up from God, and and I feel good, and I go out there. As soon as I go out there, I I, I go straight back into my old way. How can I be a living? I hear what you're saying, preacher. I like to be a living sacrifice. I like to be different out there. But how can I? I'm so feeble and so weak. As soon as I go out there, I go right back into my old way. What can you say to me? Well, I can't say nothing to you, but the Bible can. In the Bible, let's go to this verse, it says this. Do not conform to the pattern, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the answer? What is the answer? You know, um, Kim and I can remember when Joseph was small. And um, Joseph and his mum was walking past a hairdresser shop. And as they were walking past this hairdresser shop, there was these ladies sitting down on their chairs with this big hairdryer on their heads. Do you remember those big hairdryers on your head, ladies? Uh, you, know, you know, I don't know what you guys were doing in there, but you had these big hairdryers on your heads. And Joseph came by and he saw, and his mum, he said to his mum, I know what they're doing in there. And his mum said to him, do you, Joseph? Yes, I do. Well, what are they doing in there? Well, these machines, she said, it's changing their minds. Well, I don't know about that. I think it was drying their hair, but um, even that, I'm not too sure. But you know what? The world wants to change your mind. Do you know that? The world wants to get you to be like them, to conform you to the way it thinks and behaves. You are told by the world what is in and what is out. You are told by the world what to have and what not to have. You are told by the world what to chase and what not to chase. This world is a huge dictator. I mean, we turn around and we say, when we think of Hitler, and we say, well, Hitler was an evil dictator. And yes, he was. He wanted to create a super race that all looked perfect, that all did the same thing. And anyone who did not fit into Hitler's ideology were destroyed and cast out. Well, let me tell you, Hitler was not the worst dictator 
the world is a far more evil dictator will tell you exactly what you should do. And if by any chance you go against the world, you'll be ridiculed. You'll be pushed to one side. You will be ignored. The world's a dictator. Now the world is telling us one thing. The world is telling us that sexuality and renaming marriage or redefining marriage. The world is saying that is the way we are going. You better get on board or you're out. That's what the world is saying. And you can choose any other areas of life. I've been reading how we want to um, legalize drugs in our country throughout the states. People know that even smoking marijuana and split does something in your head. It doesn't do you any favors. People know that. And yet, states are now saying that drugs can be legalized. And if you don't like it, so what? Get off. I want to tell you, the world is a dictator. But God says, do not conform. Do not be like them. Do not have the same thinking that they have. Look what the word says. The Lord is speaking to Isaiah. Look what he says. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything they, this people, calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord said with his hand upon me, do not be like these people. Very serious. Why? Well, as we go on to the word, it says, John says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Listen to this. The world and its desires is passing that's why everything this world values everything this world holds on to everything this world says I must have the Bible says guess what it's passing away it's going to be done with it's going to be finished with it doesn't say only there I mean again in ISI the grass withers and the flower falls because of breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of our God endures forever. Don't be fooled. Do not be conformed by this world. Why not? Because this world is passing away. But God's word. Therefore the Bible says... Do not be conformed. Instead, be transformed. When you are transformed, you become a living sacrifice. And how can you be transformed? You can be transformed by one thing and one thing only. I mentioned it already. Here it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
The one thing that will not fade. The one thing that will not perish is the word of God. And the reason why Christians come to church and they worship God on a Sunday and they go out on a Monday and they say, I can't make it. It's so hard. I can't be different. The reason why is because I never read the word of God for themselves. They want the preacher to tell them what the word said. They want the man at the front to preach and preach and preach. And then they're happy on a Sunday morning. But they're not preaching themselves. To themselves. At home. On a Monday morning. That's why you are not being transformed. Because you're not allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly. You need that. If the word of God is not in your life Monday through to Saturday, Sunday right through to the following Sunday, it's bound to be, you're bound to be conformed and, and, and be like the others. But if God's word is in you, you will be different. You will be transformed. Now, this is not my words. I like what Paul says concerning Christ. Look what he says. Husbands, love your wives. Listen to this. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. How? How can I be holy and blameless? How can I be without stain or wrinkle? How can I be without blemish? How? By the washing of the word of God. That's how. The word is so important. If you want to be different, you want to be transformed. You want to be changed. Don't wait for me on a Sunday morning. I'm only a messenger. Yes, I get into the word, I prepare. But you should be getting into the word and preparing yourself. You should be opening up the scriptures and say, Lord, what have you got to say to me today? Lord, I don't want to be conformed. I don't want to pick up the newspaper and read what the paper has to say. I don't know what paper you read. Some of you might read the Times. Some of you might read the Sun. I don't know what papers you read. But I want to tell you, if you're reading newspapers, you're going to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I don't know what you watch on TV. You can watch the news or, or you can watch documentaries. I don't know what you watch, but you can be conformed to what you see. But I'm telling you this morning, if you get into the Word of God, that Word will transform you and change you. If you do that, then you'll be a living sacrifice. Not a dead animal on some altar somewhere. No, 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 no. You will be a living sacrifice. Walking, breathing, speaking, thinking about the word of God. That is what God wants from you. That is what God wants from me. He wants you to go out there Never mind singing the songs of Zion. Never mind remembering the words of the songs we sang. It's wonderful to sing at home. I'm not decrying that. But I want to tell you, real worship is when you live out your Christian life in our society. And when God sees that, he's saying, I'm looking for real worshippers. Where can I find them? Are they sitting in Golding's Church? Well, there's a few here I can see. But where are they really? Are they in their offices? Are they in their workplaces? 
Are they in their homes? Where are the true ones? I'm seeking them. I want to find them. Why? Because they are the ones who are showing my glory and my praise throughout the world. My dear friends, may I encourage you this morning to be a living sacrifice. May I encourage you this morning to be someone who is a true worshipper of God. Therefore, my brothers, in, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Why? How? How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. Let's pray.